are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. Very close to the end of the week and the impending weekend. Lance, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Noah. This week has, has just flown by for me. It feels like the last two or three weeks have just gone by like that. That it does. It that really it does. has, man. Like, like yesterday's show flew by, like, just like, just immediately man it's it feels like it's getting quicker and quicker we're nearing about a month out from media day which is july 19th through july 22nd so we're really getting now into the dog days of summer at least from a sports media perspective where you're running out of things to talk about and you're running out of news and you're having to create lists and rankings and talking about the future and whatnot without a whole lot of substance other than what we had to go off of from last year and returning production and whatnot but today some actual news out there and something to actually talk about we got a couple of things actually going on today me and you were driving out to lunch and then I said, wow, we've actually got some stuff to talk about today. There's actually some news that broke. Several baseball postseason accolades for Auburn and Alabama players. Preseason All-Americans for Alabama players. And then the big news here, you got Auburn football scheduling a home-and-home series with Miami. Yeah, that's right. And it was really exciting. I believe it's 2029 through 2030 is when it's going to be. That's going to be a lot of fun. I know Miami's not as good as they used to be, but that's still going to be really exciting. It's going to be interesting to see where both of these respective programs are that far down the road. What is that, like nine or ten seasons from now? That's going to be fun to see. I don't know if I don't know if uh, either Manny Diaz or Brian Harson are still going to be coaching at their respective schools, but it'll be interesting to see where those teams at by the time they play I'm assuming that they'll both be able to consistently stay good enough to where it would be most likely a top 25 matchup at least one team ranked in the top 25 I would assume but it's it's a fun game it's not on our list as far as top five non-conference games we wanted Auburn to schedule but it's a fun opponent nonetheless question here to you about the implications postseason implications of playing a team like Miami at that time of year which we know, or that time in the future, we know by then, more than likely, we're going to have a 12-team playoff. This all seems like a formality that it's going in that direction. It seems to be a popular option amongst the college football playoff committees, and it seems like that's the direction that we're going in. By 2029-2030, you're going to have that 12-team playoff, if not more than that, already put into place, right? Right. Does that take some of the oomph out of these non-conference matchups or does it make them more fun because you're less stressed about the result? Because this year, or, you know, let's let's take Auburn out of this equation because I don't think many people view Auburn as a playoff contender this year. You look at a team like Georgia, they got to play Clemson. There's some serious, serious playoff implications on that week one game. You know it means something, but you talk about Auburn-Miami down the line. Does that carry on to teams that are probably going to be on the fringe 
of the college football playoff at that time. Well, if, if Auburn and Miami are, are on the fringe of the college football playoff, he, either heading, I would assume that if it's a home-and-home, home, it's going to be one of the first two weeks of the season. So it, at the beginning of the season, if they're sitting there at like 24, 25, maybe not even ranked, I think it's a really big confidence booster to win against another Power 5 school that is so prestigious like Miami in the past. Not necessarily so far as like the last decade, but they've been really, really good in the past. I think it's a really big, it's a really big confidence booster and it's also a really big resume booster because if you if Miami wins that game hey you just beat a pretty decent SEC team now if you can win eight or nine games on your ACC schedule you could be sitting there as the 12th team to get in it could be what really pushes you over the edge if you are a fringe team so I think it makes the regular season more significant we've seen that be an argument as far as concerning whether or not the 12 team playoff should actually happen it's like oh well it takes away from the regular season well it really doesn't if you start to schedule some of these really big non-conference games during the regular season I think it's the same thing for some of these group of five programs they got to start scheduling teams like Notre Dame or Miami or Ohio State they need to be scheduling those really big games in the regular season to prove by the time they get to the postseason they're legitimate to contenders whenever whenever I look at a team like Auburn and Miami playing each other 10 years down the road hypothetically into a, a already like deep into a 12-team college football playoff I think it's just one of those games we'll look at by the time it gets here and say, yeah, this has big implications because whoever wins this game has a much better shot of getting into the playoffs. So I think it's significant. When I look at the future of college football and how this pertains to scheduling with a 12-team playoff, does it become more about who's in or more about the seeding of who's in? Because that's something that I don't feel like has been talked about enough. You look at how Alabama is scheduling right now, They've added teams like Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and some of those teams all in the same year, Oklahoma State. You, you look at their future schedules, there are multiple Power 5 teams and good multiple Power 5 programs on a lot of their future schedules. Auburn, pretty bare bones right now. They add Miami for future schedules that they hadn't even had opponents yet. They haven't doubled up yet on theirs. They still have just the one Power 5 opponent and all of their future schedules but my question is are these teams stacking up not worried about taking losses but more so trying to build up a resume that could possibly inch them past someone else when it comes down to seeding because seeding could end up being a very decisive factor in how teams play how teams postseason plays out in the playoff down the line because you and I have been making graphics about these what would the college football playoff have looked like in 2013, 2017, 2010, all these other years? And you take 2013, for instance, and Auburn obviously gets a first-round bye because they were one of the top two teams in the country at that point. But guess who they would have had to play? They would have had to play Ohio State or Oregon in their respective seed categories. So now seeding is taken into more account than it was with four teams. And I think something else to think about is I think that's a great point is is getting home field advantage. If these if these uh, if these teams that don't get a first round by all these games that are being played outside of that, there it's going to be a home it's going to be a home field advantage for some of these seeds. Wouldn't you want to try and least hit maybe that maybe that fifth seed that seventh seed. Or, or, or so on you want to try and get into that middle ground where you are one of those seeds and I understand like if it's coming down to the end of the season it's like well we either need one loss or one win to get that home field advantage 
would 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 you be willing to to take a loss to get a home field advantage or would you how desperate would you be to try and get a win to get home field advantage so whenever you look at a game like Auburn versus Miami down the line I think that's going to play a significant role I think that's a really good point to bring up is seeding is really going to be important in this 12 team playoff because it's way more important than just oh it's just four teams and it's it's two bowl games it's there's home field advantage and I think that's a pretty big factor I don't buy the notion that people are going to be super upset about who gets left out of the 12 team playoff because Mm -hmm. you've heard that complaint before right especially from opponents of the playoff expanding from four teams you're like well instead of complaining about who got in at four we're going to be complaining about who got left out with six or who got left out with eight or who got left out with 10 or who got left out with 12 I don't buy that because the teams that are hovering around 12 there's just less controversy there's less emphasis on those teams in college football you could get Iowa State left out at 12 nobody's going to be sitting here indignant that Iowa State didn't make the playoff the fan base is is a lot smaller in the grand scheme of things Ohio State gets left out of a playoff though you got an army of people in in the Midwest that are just losing their minds you know it's not like that with the teams that are in places 11 through 15 in the college football playoff rankings you know why people won't be freaking out about the the 13th team is because at that point if you are ranked 13th in the country there are 12 teams ahead ahead of you or 11 or whatever I think genuinely there's about four or five teams that can consistently compete for the national title each season you don't deserve to be in the playoff even that 12th team I would argue is probably going to get beat in their first game it's probably going to happen. It might be a group of five team that's sitting there at number 12. You're probably going to get beaten. The game doesn't make the comp- doesn't make the matchups less fun, but 12 teams don't deserve to all compete for a national title or pass that. If that was the case and we're sitting here complaining about the 13th team, let's just not care about the regular season. Let's play a 300-team a playoff then. Let's do that because obviously we're never going to be satisfied until, until all of these group of five teams and all of these teams that lose their conference championships are happy. There's a reason that it's a college football playoff. It's for the team that, that it decides the team that wins the national championship if you're sitting there at 15 or 16th best team in the country there there are there are 15 teams ahead of you that deserve that shot more than you do and genuinely there's only about five or six teams that deserve that shot period also think that the average team that's going to be sitting at 13 through 15 or whatever that gets left out their fan bases might be more mad at the fact that they're not in and they might be more mad at the fact if they're if you're taking auburn for instance I don't know if Auburn's going to be, and maybe Auburn's not a good example because Auburn still has a relatively emphatic and extremely vocal fan base, but maybe you're taking like an Iowa State or or another team from outside the Southeast, taking some of these other conferences, and maybe they get left out. Their fan bases may not care as much as a Southeastern Conference team or a team in the Southeast because the culture around football is different. They may just be a little bit more angry at their own coaching staff, at their own program that they didn't make it, rather than at the college football playoff that they weren't good enough to get in. I just don't think that, that it's going to be as big of a deal that someone gets left out from 12 rather than they did earlier but I think we could be having a lot of arguments about oh well we deserve the first round by or because now that's become the arbitrary thing right that for me is more important in the seating and the way that the bracket plays out because that could end seasons early that could create matchups where you could maybe see a little bit of parity based off of 
maybe a team underachieved a little bit found themselves down the line in rankings but maybe you know they're just as talented as ever for instance the 2013 college football playoff if you look back at what that would have looked like Ohio State would have been the seventh seed right you take a loss late in the season that could drop you enough in the rankings where you're playing in the first round but you're still as talented as ever and then you get matched up with a team in the top four and you could upset them I think that's where you might see the parity. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun. But at the same time, like even if those teams do lose like in their conference championship, even though it's like clearly like, okay, well, they were the more talented team all season, even though they tripped up here at the end of the year. It's like, well, they tripped up at the wrong time, in my opinion. It was like that you should be able to keep it to to four or eight teams and and let them compete. Because if you're losing at the end of the season, it's just it's it's not necessarily tough luck, but like. You just you just happen to lose at the wrong time. It's like you, you you're you're talented, you're really hot, but there are teams that are just as hot as you that didn't lose at the end of the season. It's just the way the rankings work out. It's just it's it's frustrating, and I think that's why some people wanted it expanded. But at the same time, how far should we expand it in order to keep teams happy? Because again, there's only so many teams that deserve to compete for a title at the end of the day. But I will say this: having Ohio State as a seven seed, if something like that happens in the future, then there will be a lot of parity. I agree with you. I think it's going to be fun to watch, and it's going to make the playoff work. And so, and I, and I'm not arguing with you. I agree with the philosophy that you have. I, I agree with you. I'm more making the point that the argument in the future and trying to bring this back around to where we were at to begin this show. Auburn signing that home-and-home home series with Miami football. Really, the point that I'm trying to bring, the, the, to bring this back to is that I think that the seeding will be the argument in non-conference games. You're going to begin to see other teams stack that up to try and improve their seeding later on down the line because that's going to be a more important argument. You can take more losses now in the regular season and still get in you can still take two or three loss. you can still take three losses and still get in a nine and three team will more than likely make the playoff multiple nine and three teams may make the playoff some of these years it's more important now to build your resume outside of the conference than it is maybe beating up on some of the worst teams in your conference you know what I mean stack it up by adding teams like Miami and like Alabama's doing Ohio State and see that's just gonna it's gonna make the regular season a lot more fun because everybody complains about these cupcake games it's gonna make the regular season a lot more fun and when we do get to the playoff if there is parity if this if this system works it's gonna be fantastic football to watch let's take a quick break here and when we come back we're going to do our Auburn football schedule analysis Taking a look at the Alabama State Hornets today. I promise, guys, it does get better. Penn State will be coming up relatively soon. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama here on the Thursday edition of the show. Call in at 334-321-1390. Whatever's on your mind, we want to talk to you about it. 334-321-1390. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Dawn Pound. Auburn football schedule analysis series grading the Alabama State Hornets today, giving a breakdown on the Alabama State Hornets. Going to go through some strengths, weaknesses, going to take a look at all of their different position groups. Like I said, going into this segment, I promise it does get better. But I think there is something to take away before we get into this. It could be a detriment to Auburn 
in 2021. Well, let me ask the question then. Is it more of a detriment or is it more of a help to Auburn in 2021 that they are playing such bad teams in Akron and Alabama State? Because they, let's, I'm, I'm not wanting to just harp on how bad these teams could be, but they're not very good. So here's my question back. Would it be better to play Penn State week one and then have these games after, or would it be better to play these two games first and then play Penn State week three? Would you rather have a tune-up, or would you rather play Penn State immediately? I can only answer that question if I knew the end result, right? Like, And, and let me explain what I mean by that, because Penn State is still trying to figure some things out themselves, correct? They're, they're in a very similar situation with Clifford at quarterback. They're not too happy with him. They're not too happy with how they played last year. They were 4-5, and five and it was much worse than that before they got – pretty hot at the end of the season kind of very similar to LSU's trajectory last year if you're looking at two teams in college football that ran parallel paths with each other it was Penn State and LSU but if you get them week one and and both teams are still figuring things out of course you have the continuity at head coach at Penn State that I think we would both agree is probably a better head coach than Brian Harson, at least at this point from the past that we've seen and their resumes and what they've done in college football but week one is everybody's got things and issues that they're working through you could see an Auburn team go into Happy Valley and still pull the upset because it's week one we see that all the time Auburn under Gus Malzahn was able to prepare for these matchups really well even when people thought Auburn was going to lose like against Oregon like against Washington Auburn was not really a favorite in either of those football games it felt maybe the Washington game the Oregon game definitely not a favorite and Auburn ended up winning both of those football games you know so I think that by virtue of the fact that week ones can kind of be crazy and neither team is playing with the advantage of having gotten to warm up throughout the season, right? That you're still cold starting the new year. That could benefit Auburn. But on the flip side, Penn State does have a little bit more continuity in their program at this point. That could help them more in week one than it does for Auburn. You go into week three, though, Penn State also has been afforded the two weeks to get everything together, right? And they're not playing as good a competition they're, they're not playing any better competition than Auburn is through the first couple of weeks I don't mean, they play Wisconsin to open open the season I might be I might be way off on that but I'd have to go look check that I, tell me who they're playing I feel I, like, I just assumed that they were I I may be wrong on that no well, they, they, they do open the season on the road at Wisconsin then they play Ball State then they okay. play Auburn well then yeah they do receive a little bit more substantial competition right. that's going to help them improve than Auburn does and it's still a tough road game regardless. And I don't even know if two weeks is even enough time. I, I don't know if two weeks is enough time for Auburn to still have things figured out to a point to where they're going to be ready for Penn State. And it doesn't help that they're basically kind of glorified practices against Akron and Alabama State where it's full speed, but and, and you're you know, you're not hitting your teammates anymore, but it's still not you might have better op you you have better opposition in practice if you win against your first team defense, right? Right. And so for me, I actually might probably go with I would rather see Auburn play Penn State in week one and get that out the way, possibly be able to sucker punch them and catch them off guard in week one and then work on improving from there. The reason that I would feel comfortable playing Penn State in week three compared to if it was last season I would say let's play Penn State week one the reason I'm saying it's different this season is because all of the coaching and scheme changes I would like yeah. for Auburn to get at least two weeks to not necessarily show anything but to at least get out on the field and get real game environment and actually like it's literally just a glorified practice in front of fans you're going to win those games but let's work out some kinks let's figure out what we do well what we don't do well 
and tune up, even though Penn State is also doing the exact same thing, and they're going to play much more difficult competition, especially week one on the road at Wisconsin. But at the same time, I would feel more comfortable as a fan to know, okay, my offense is doing really, really well. My defense is doing what, or do, doing really well. I, but we know that these are things that we can work on. And I would not want to throw this team with a new head coach week one into a really tough road environment like Penn State. Because you know week one how excited these crowds are going to be to just be back. I would not want that to a fair o- point. to open Brian Harson's career. That would scare me. At the same time, though, I understand. Like you understand, the, you understand the sucker punch argument exactly because Auburn's proven in the past against teams that they may or may not should have be they may or may not had a like a legitimate chance against those two p- teams being the from the Pac-12, Oregon and, and Washington. Auburn kind of caught them off guard, especially that Oregon team late in that second half, and came back and won even though it didn't really seem like Auburn really had a chance. So Auburn could do that as well against Penn State. I just would feel more comfortable as a fan knowing, hey, this is what my offense is doing and to give me to give me confidence heading into that game. I also wonder, and this was a question that I planned to ask during this segment, also wonder where Auburn is at in installing mm-hmm. the new scheme, how far along they are at that point and developing underneath it by the time they get to Penn State, even with these first two weeks. Yep. Because they have no experience playing a good team at this point under these new schemes. Auburn's going to have to win on brute force against Penn State. Auburn, schematically, I don't know if they can go in because it's not going to be fully fleshed out by game three. It's just not. By the end of the year, it should be. But by week three, it's not going to be fully fleshed out. You're still going to be developing and learning these new things on both sides of the football. It's not going to be fleshed out. So... Auburn's going to have to win on brute force. They're going to have to control it in the trenches on the offensive and the defensive side of the ball and then do your best to make in-game adjustments to give you just the advantage that you need to win in Happy Valley. And I think I think a good way to look at that is, is talent is going to win out in that scenario. I agree with you. I think Auburn's going to have to brute force it and talent's just going to have to win out. The question is, is whether or not Auburn's more talented. And if y'all want to find that out, you're going to have to tune in next time we uh, do a uh, an opponent analysis and we grade <laughs> Penn State. So go ahead and tease that one. Well, let's get into it right here. Let's grade out the Alabama State Hornets, kind of talk about their strengths, their weaknesses. I think something that you could say was a strength for them as far as one of their more talented players is the quarterback position, which is why I would give the quarterback room a D. Quarterback Ryan Nettles amassed 917 yards on a 59% completion percentage with eight touchdowns to five interceptions and just 183.4 yards per game. So on the one hand, as a freshman, not terrible. And you would expect him to improve coming out of this spring. You basically got a spring to warm up for this fall regular season, right? So not terrible, but still enough to tell you that also that the passing game is probably a weakness when you look at the receivers. The receiver room, I, w- I would say we both would grade out as an F. Didn't do a whole lot in the passing game. Averaged just 183.4 passing yards per game. The passing offense was inconsistent. I don't know how much of that I put on the quarterback. That Both units are to, are to blame. The offensive line isn't too great either. They were giving up over two sacks a game. I think 2.2 sacks per game, so... Just kind of middle of the pack there, super young offensive line with like four freshmen on the O-line, maybe one sophomore in the center of it, I think. That's yep. right. Yeah, the center's like a sophomore. So it's a young offensive line. The receivers weren't too effective. The quarterback position seemed to have mild success despite those circumstances. Ryan Nettles played pretty well last year concerning those two position groups around him. Outside of the running back position, Alabama State was incredibly young last year. 
I mean, incredibly young, and they were trying to to go out there offensively and play with some some really young guys in in a in a swack where you know legitimately as far as like grading these teams. I, in my mind, think of Alabama State overall as just an F because if you're not performing at the top of your class in the SWAC, you won't be able to compete any higher legitimately than an F grade because you're you're playing in not a very good conference to begin with. Whenever I do look at this quarterback position, though, you know, five, t- five interceptions to eight touchdowns as a freshman, 59% completion percentage, as you mentioned, like, that's not terrible. I'd give this quarterback room a D. I don't think it's, I don't think it's terrible. And you look at this receiver room, they bring back their top three uh, returning receivers statistically, but none of them had over 300 yards receiving, and I believe three touchdowns was the most that one of their receivers had. So it's just they've not been very productive. Again, they're really, really young, but they're not going to be productive against Auburn, that is for sure. So I would give the receiver room an F, and I'd give the quarterback room a D. I think there's promise there because, again, they're so young, but they're not going to perform against Auburn. As far as grading goes against Auburn, they're an F. O-line, they returned five starters, as I mentioned, four of which are going to be freshmen this year, one of which is a sophomore, I believe. At least that's what they were last year, but last football season didn't count, so they're still around. They're still underclassmen. They're still young guys. The offensive line gave up 2.2 sacks per game, only got the rushing attack to 4.2 yards per carry, and they had an all-swack-type back in Ezra Gray and a redshirt senior who has uh, you know a lot of highlights down there in Montgomery. So... On the one hand, I like the running back room, but on the other hand, the rushing attack is still disappointing because of the offensive line. This is a game where Auburn should, and this is just obvious, and we're trying to break these teams down, give you some information about these squads that maybe you didn't know. That's a big part about this, is to be more informational, to give stuff, to give people information that they didn't have before they went into this season, to give you a little bit on these teams. And Alabama State on the opposite side of the ball. That that if Auburn does not, uh, you you would expect Auburn to to get pretty close to blanking them. Yeah, they only played six games last season, and they gave up eleven sacks. Like you mentioned, only four point two yards per rush attempt, one hundred fifty three point six rushing yards per game, two hundred two yards passing per game, but only five point sixty eight yards per attempt passing. This offense, again, incredibly young, but they just were not efficient at all. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this this offensive line was so young. Again, four starters on that offensive line were freshmen last season. One of them was a sophomore, so they've got some growing up to do. But right now, I I would put the offensive line at at an F. And what's interesting is, and I'm I'm sure folks don't watch SWAC football all the time because obviously it's not that easy to watch, but the... There are teams in the SWAC that can really score the football. Alcorn State, one of those teams. And they're a preseason favorite most seasons in the SWAC. For Akron on the offensive side of the football to just be averaging, what, like 23 points a game? That's not good. It's not good. It's not good. Especially in the realm of competing against an SEC team. Between Akron and Alabama State, how many points do you think the Auburn defense will allow? Uh, 10 or less. I'm right there with you. I think it's possible. You'd expect at least one of them to be a shutout. More of On the Line on the other side of this break here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama, 2.30 p.m. here on your radio dial. 
Solid show so far. Talked a little Auburn football schedule analysis. Briefly looked at the Alabama State Hornets. Also talked about Auburn's home-and-home series that they schedule with Miami that was released today. But we're going to head to the phone lines now. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. We got Terry on the line with us. Terry, what's up, my man? Guys, how y'all doing today? We're doing good. Fantastic. Um, Y'all are discussing the the area of the schedule of the Penn State games. And what's the second game, right? It's the third game. Third game, okay, okay, third game, okay. And uh, I personally wouldn't mind being a little bit later um, because uh, Parson gets his his uh, style of play to, to kick in and and everything starts kicking. By then, you know, Bo Nix will be on the bench and and uh, T.J. Fanley will took over and the team will start rallying around him and we can get on with Auburn football. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just I don't I don't really want to test that early. I mean, I know I know somebody's going to call and bring up Alabama, but when you're recruiting a bunch of five stars every year and and let's face it guys nick saban's the best coach in the land um he just happens to be in the state of alabama i i don't know i just I, i'd like to see a bit later and i know you guys were going over alabama state and and uh, the hornets and was talking about them and and uh, they're, they're i don't know they're kind of tricky um that you're talking about that quarterback a little bit uh, lance i think that was you who was talking about that yes sir would he not be the perfect quarterback for the augustus system uh, the uh, Ryan Wells, I Ryan believe. Nettles. Ryan Nettles, dual I threat guy. Name. Yeah, dual He's threat right, guy. He can run. Yeah, and that, that's what I was. I was. I was the rest always bothered me, guys. Because I and I'm not going to get on Gus too much because he's not there anymore. And that's that's all of water under the bridge. And I understand that. But let me ask you guys this: Is Gene Chizik and Ed Orgeron basically the same person? <laughs> I mean, you know, we talked guys. about those uh, those career tra- trajectories a little bit. We it, both of them were great defensive coaches. Both of them rode a great player. I think I think Cannon's a better athlete than Joe Burrow, but I don't think Joe Burrow's a bad athlete at all. Yeah, Joe Burrow, a um, better passer. Probably. Probably. But both of them rode, and, and both of them were exposed after those guys left it to be the piece of the garbage they are. And I think I, I personally think, guys, that Ed Orgeron's going to be the first guy fired I, in the SEC. He's definitely on my hot seat. I, I put out uh, around December coaches that I thought were, were – very close to getting fired and Malzahn was the one that surprised me out of that group but I did have Malzahn on that list and I got Mike Leach there as another guy that I could see getting fired after this year if things go horribly wrong and then Ed Orgeron is right there just because of all of the the distractions around the program if if things go bad this year the question is how much patience do they have with this coaching staff the assistants are always the first ones to go right and right. they hired two new assistants this year at offensive and defensive coordinator, and they don't have the most experience calling plays on both sides of the ball either. I just I have a lot of skepticism. Everybody wants to say that LSU's bouncing back this year, and sure they're talented, but it seems like things are falling apart rather than coming together there. But maybe I'm wrong. You just described Gene Chizik. <laughs> it that things did happen. That that was how it happened though. You're four I mean, for for Chizik. He brought in two new assistants and. He brought in one of them from the NFL, and both of these assistants from Orgeron came from the NFL. So it, it did kind of – it trended that way. Well, let me switch back to Auburn real quick, guys. I was having a little fun there. but uh, Kind of fun, but, but yet serious, too. Um, I, I wouldn't mind an eight-win season at all because if you have a good season, that sets yourself up for disaster. But if I if Auburn's going to have four losses, I expect those four losses to be a combined you know, 20 points. So you're expecting and, Auburn and to compete an, a lot closer with those yes, teams than compete. typical. That's yeah. the, that, you said it right there, compete. And that's something I got that tired of getting. I got tired of getting my head handed to me. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I feel that. You know, uh, I'll say this: uh, former Auburn football player Trevon Reed yesterday tweeted out something saying that he, the guy, the way that the guys are talking in the locker room, 
They, they're talking like champs. You know, they, they, they're walking like champs, talking like champs. They're acting like champs. There just seems to be a different attitude. And that's not the first time we've heard stuff like that. That's not the first time, whether it's on the record or off the record for folks, you hear people talking about there's just a different attitude. It's, it, it, things are changing, whether it's, whether it's their attitude or their workouts. I mean, it seems like you're hearing a whole different workout program on campus. Guys are, you know, it's extremely tough right now, even in the spring compared to what it was like in the fall. Just things, things seem to be changing a lot in terms of culture. And that's, I think that's a, a big positive for Auburn this year. Does, does, do you guys think that Gus Malzahn and his staff got kind of complacent and lazy? I don't know. I, I think Malzahn, I'm not, I, I think any coach in college football, wherever they're at, they're, they're always trying to win, right? Mm-hmm. I think Malzahn's just a creature of habit. I, I think that's, you know, and, and a lot of coaches are stubborn and don't want to change their ways. And Malzahn, amongst his yeah, other that, coordinators, right there. amongst his you other, said it right there. yeah, amongst his other yeah, coordinators, said, they were just very stubborn. I always said that Gus was more in love with what he wants and what he needs. And that was the the undoing, the final final straw of his undoing, quite honestly. And as far as attitude, guys, wasn't there another coach back about twenty five years ago talking about attitude too? Terry Bowden. Yeah, and then so, and I think you know what what seems to really be another. I would see even better comparison here, and I, I I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but you look at the parts of the country that they're coming from, and Brian Harson I know didn't orig- originate from the southeast like Pat Dye did, but you know Pat Dye came from Wyoming prior to when he go, went to Auburn, and then there's just a tough guy mentality from both of those coaches. So I would even maybe go back to, to Pat Dye to draw a little bit of a comparison because there's a there, it seems to be that's what Auburn's selling now is being tough and being competitive and and not being afraid of anybody, right, and, and trying well, to control the things that I want to be competitive. I don't, I don't you know. Loss doesn't bother me, especially when I'm in the loss. You know, when they say, okay, we had to fight, cl- scratch, and claw to get that win. And that Auburn team's a team to be reckoned with. And they're going to be more dangerous in 9, 10, 11 than they were 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, and the SEC needs more teams that are going to challenge the squads at the top to give them even more difficult schedules. I mean, on the other side of things, there's, sure. there's two teams that play Alabama and Georgia every year, and that's Tennessee and Auburn. And Auburn fans are like, can y'all help us out a bit, right? And right. Tennessee's over here just they're, – they're, they're not putting up much of a fight in either of those two football games, and you'd like to see those schedules be tougher for those teams. Sure. Because that, I think, makes, A, the league more competitive, and B, it makes it tougher for those teams to get to the finish line every year with without some nicks and bruises and without, you know, just generally having to, to struggle their way to the end, right? Th- those teams seem to be cruising. The last thing is, I really like what Auburn's done on defense and the portal. and, and that, that, That's why I don't think the receivers in any game will have tremendous success because I think that's the strength of Auburn's team is that back, back, back secondary. I really do. It's the best thing about this Auburn football team. I, I truly believe it. It is a top two, top three unit in the SEC. Maybe even you know top five, top seven in the country. I, in terms I'm of right there with you. Yeah, I'm right there with you as far as. You guys as take care. Have a great goes. day. Appreciate it, Terry. That was Terry on the line with us. Lance, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm right there with y'all as far as units go, and I've talked about this a lot whenever we were going over our our, our uh, depth chart series and, and position rankings as far as like the defense goes on the show. I think this is going to be one of the top five units in the country. I think it's going to be excellent. I think Derek Mason is going to get this this team tuned up in fall camp, and I think this is going that's going to be the strength of this Auburn team. It's not been a strength in the past. Again, Auburn gave up 260 yards passing last year. I'm putting a lot of stock in Derek Mason to get these this defensive line to actually create some pressure, and that will give this defense this defensive back position a lot of opportunity to shine so I'm really excited with these with these guys that they've gotten in the transfer portal and the guys that are coming back guys like McCreary and Simpson I'm really looking forward to see what the secondary looks like this season well every single one of them's getting drafted 
barring something catastrophic to their careers, like an injury or something like that. But McCreary's a second-round draft pick. I doubt he'll get to the first round, but he's definitely a a day-two guy there on the second round, at least a day-two guy. He won't, he won't fall further than that, I don't think. And then Joshua Miller will get drafted whenever he goes pro, and the same with Nehemiah Pritchett and Jalen Simpson. Already you begin to talk about their career trajectory going to the NFL. Every single one of those. Smoke Monday is going to get drafted every single one of those players with the exception of I don't we just don't know enough yet about Tennyson we don't know enough about um you know but I doubt by I, I don't know where by Darius Knighton slides slides in all and all that you know Donovan Kaufman maybe like that position at safety maybe not but all those other players I mean you got four or five guys that are getting drafted and you think they're gonna ha- that's gonna happen this season after the end of this season? no not after the end of this season Smoke Monday and Roger McCurry of course at least and then Dreshon Miller probably will go I, if I had to guess, like that's that's my prediction is probably will go. So there you got three, and then you hope that you get to keep Nehemiah Pritchett and Jalen Simpson for another year. You hope that both of those guys come back to be your bookend corners in 2022. And Auburn will still have, with those two guys coming back, one of the best defensive back rooms, mainly at cornerback, but one of the best defensive back rooms in the SEC at that point. Auburn's set at that one – like that is the one position where Auburn is set for years to come is defensive back. Everywhere else, good luck. I will say this. If we do see guys depart, not just in the secondary, but across this team after this season, I think it's more reason to believe that Auburn will have a lot of success this year compared to 2022. And you and I have been talking about that extensively recently, about like historically Auburn's been really good in their first year under a new head coach and then moving down the line. It's just like it's not it's not been it's not been as good as that first year was as far as like jump from the previous year. Had a hard time sustaining it. Right, right, right. So if if we do see a lot of guys not only to not only depart in that secondary, but depart depart across the roster I, I think it's more reason to believe that Auburn should win eight or nine games this season compared to building it up qu- uh, closer to where we want to be in 2022. You and I have talked about that a lot. Is like we looking at this roster, it should be a step back in 2022. Yeah, 2022 is the year where I'm like, if you want to say Auburn's going to win six games or something like yeah. that, then I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see that happening. And the biggest thing for me is that we played Georgia and Alabama on the road in 2022. It's like those games are way more difficult on the road than they yeah. are at home. I don't know who the East opponents are in 2022 off the top of my head. I think it's, I know you can find. I that. think it might be Missouri, but I may be wrong. I'll have to go. Che- I'll have to go check. That's winnable. That that is definitely a winnable game, and I think you get them at home this go round because the last time Auburn played Missouri, it, it is was Missouri. At Missouri. Yes, and it's it, at home. It isn't is. It? it is at home against yeah. Missouri. And so that one's winnable. That that's not the worst East. It's not like you're getting Florida and Georgia like you were a couple of years ago, or even. Tennessee. I don't know if I'd want to. I don't. I don't know if I'd want to play Tennessee just with the history of that. Those games right. seem to be close most of the time when Auburn plays them, regardless of where Tennessee is at, regardless of where Auburn is at. And look no further than 2018, a couple of years ago. But yeah, I, I'm I'm more optimistic about this season than I am in 2022, just because of how much you lose. The quarterback position is more than likely back next year, whoever it is. I'm sure it's. I, I still believe it's going to be Bo Nix, much to. Terry Chagrin but you know I I definitely believe that it's it's going to be Bo Nix this year and it'll carry into next season but so he should be back the question is is he good enough to keep the off it will he have developed to a point where he's good enough to keep the offense afloat with a brand new offensive line he loses all five starters after this year is he good enough with a brand new offensive line it's still a relatively young receiver room is that enough and then Tate Bigsby will be back the skill positions will be set on offense but the offensive line you just 
It's been so poorly recruited. Next year's doomsday on the offensive line. Yeah, I agree with you. But whenever you look at this non-conference schedule next season, it, it seems like it should be pretty easy. You get Mercer, you get Penn State at home this time, you get Western Kentucky, and then you get the uh, the San Jose State Spartans, who uh, word on the street is actually they're doing pretty good in the Mountain <laughs> West, right, Noah? Well, they are in real life. They really are. I know you're referring to my NCAA football dynasty, but... They are in real life too, weren't they? they conference actually, champions last year. Yes, exactly. They beat Boise State, who uh, who Auburn Auburn got their head coach. So it's going to be interesting to see the trajectory. I know this is completely off topic, but I've been thinking about this recently. It's going to be interesting to see the trajectory of the Mountain West Conference now that teams like. San Jose State, Fresno State consistently competing year in and year out. Boise State is now forget about San Diego State. San Diego State's also had a had a really good track record defensively and that the running backs that they produce, they've been incredible. It's going to be interesting to see now that Boise State has lost another piece that made them go in the early 2000s. It's going to be interesting to see how the West Mountain West Conference yeah. shakes out now. It's completely off topic. But yeah, I think it's we're, be we're talking fine. about how you know it's doomsday for Auburn offensive line next year with how everything's been recruited. Like that's the expiration date, and they're they're going to have to hit the transfer portal. But that is the positive. I was actually talking with my dad last night about this. I said, you know, Auburn, what what Auburn will be relying on next year is the transfer portal to replace a lot of what they lose this year. It's it's kind of a, a revamped version of the JUCO system almost. You saw previous head coaches like Malzahn when they first came in because of the previous coaching staff maybe not filling certain needs as well as they needed to. They had to hit up the JUCO system in order to immediately fill up gaps. Well, you could go to the transfer portal now and get a much better player than you could out of JUCO. Yeah, and whenever whenever you look at some of the guys that are that are still in the transfer portal, at least right now, you look at guys like Demetrius Robertson, who was a former five star. Like those guys are going to be floating around in the transfer portal come come spring next season. So you're going to be able to pick and choose who you want, especially if you if you believe that your recruiting style is going to work. And when you look at a team like Auburn, of course, why wouldn't you want to go there if you're a four or five star? Right. So it's extremely important right now this season for Auburn to overachieve this year, at right. least compared to the expectation going into this season, which the expectation as we've seen is seven six or seven wins that's the consistent prediction that we see around every single preseason magazine or or media outlet whatnot they're predicting Auburn six or seven wins in the regular season and it's important for Auburn to overachieve that to create some type of sense of security for the future under this new coaching staff and that they have things going in the right direction because if not then people are going to say things like well should they really have moved on from Gus Malzahn is is this guy from Boise really working they're still going to be going into year two like we just don't know what this dude from Boise can do right we just haven't seen him get his guys in whatnot but like you want to build some type of you want to have some type of foundation for excitement going into 2022 and you can do that this year with an experienced roster and pretty much everybody coming back from last year's team, which you can't tell me is not talented. It is talented. They're still right up there with everybody else in the blue chip ratio. They're one of the most talented teams in the country in terms of that. They're top 16 in that category. Top 11, according to 24-7 Sports' blue chip ratio. So they're a top 11 team in talent in the country. So you can't tell me they're not talented. Now it's time to take that talent and put it in the right direction and win. And if you can win this year, it can really make things easier for you in the transfer portal when you severely will be needing to fill some needs across the board next year. And it's not just on offense. It's also on defense because you are going to be losing a couple of defensive linemen. You're going to be losing both of your linebackers more than likely. And as I said earlier, you're probably going to lose three defensive backs. Yeah, if Auburn doesn't overachieve, at least from a national perspective, 
uh, this season. People are going to be tweeting in the offseason that maybe Bo Nix wasn't so focused in having fun, <laughs> and the, there there will be some concerns in the that future. That might be after week one. It, it, it might, okay, I was talking to somebody <laughs> during lunch, and they had a very similar take to Terry's, is they believe after the Georgia game, Bo Nix will not be the starter. I'm like, that's interesting. I disagree, but it's an, it's an interesting way to look at how this season could shake out. But the, what I was asked by this person at lunch is like, do, does Auburn have a legitimate quarterback option outside of Bo Nix? And in my mind, the answer is no. And I, I know that might be harsh to say that TJ Finley or Demetrius Davis couldn't carry the how load. How about this? Not yet. Not yet. I think Holden Jariner, once he steps into this room, if we see some good things from him in the spring, I, I could. TJ Finley could by the end of his exactly. career. Year two under TJ Finley, year, year two with Demetrius Davis, or year one with Holden Jariner, I would say next year, yes, but right now, no. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll continue our Auburn football schedule analysis, look at the defensive side of the football of the Alabama State Hornets. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to us here on On the Line. Before we wrap up hour number one of the show, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some movie selections for this evening. The 1995 version of Mortal Kombat is on BBC at 7. Anybody else get bummed when they see Wilson floating away in the ocean? Or is that just me? Castaway is on Freeform at 7. Family Film with Peter Rabbit on FX at 7. Lone Wolf action movies seem to be a theme. Jack Reacher is on Paramount at 6. And the two are on at 7 with The Accountant on TNT and John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum on Sci-Fi. In live sports, an incredible effort from Kevin Durant in Game 5 lifted the Nets to a 3-2 lead over the Milwaukee Bucks. Game 6 is tonight on ESPN at 7.30 with the Nets looking to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 2003. In the NHL playoffs, it's Game 3 of a tied series between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders at 7 on USA. U.S. Open Golf is on NBC at 6. Copa America Soccer is on FS1 at 7 with Peru versus Brazil. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Auburn football schedule analysis here, talking about the Alabama State Hornets. We're on the defensive side of the ball now. Just trying to provide people some information about some of these smaller schools on Auburn's schedule. We'll get to some better teams, of course, tomorrow. We'll wrap up the week with Penn State. We did Akron yesterday. We're grading the Alabama State Hornets today and trying to provide some more information about some of these smaller schools at Auburn's schedule that maybe folks didn't know going into these ball games that might make you smart when you're sitting into your season tickets and going to that Alabama State game. You might know something. I go ahead and tease tomorrow's Penn State analysis. There's probably not going to be any Fs, and I know there's been a lot of them on these first two <laughs> opponents. Probably won't be. Probably won't be some Fs. Probably won't be a lot of Ds either. Almost feel bad like posting the social media graphic of the grades because <laughs> I'm like, man, people think we're making fun of this. I'm like, just please wait. We're going to get to the other teams. We're not just saying this to make fun of these schools. Let's get on the defensive side of the ball. I think this is the strength of the Alabama State Hornets. Statistically, last year. They held opponents to just 3.7 yards per carry and 5.78 yards per pass attempt. So for me, when I look at the defense, I have two Ds for Alabama State. A D on the defensive line and a D at the defensive back positions. And when you look at those two statistics, that's fair to say considering they held opponents to 3.7 yards per carry and they held opponents to just 5.78 yards per pass attempt. Opposing teams were plain old simple. They were not effective against Alabama State's defense. 
that held opponents to 24.2 points per game not half bad yeah the, uh, Alabama State's offensive line gave up 11 sacks but this defensive line got 11 sacks in six games last year only gave up 140 rushing yards per game which I don't think is terrible the uh, the defensive backfield returns their top three tacklers from the from that secondary it's it's not a bad defense they held their own the majority of the defense is coming back as well just three seniors were on the team that played this past spring that went three and three so you expect eight of those guys to be coming back and so that'll be something to look forward to for Alabama State uh, they're going to be trying to build upon that success on the defensive side of the ball that's it for hour number one here we'll be back on the other side of this break with hour number two coming up you're listening to On the Line are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. It was a fun hour number one. Did our Auburn football schedule analysis series. Talked a bit about Alabama State. Tomorrow, it'll be the Penn State Nittany Lions. The big non-conference clash between Auburn and Penn State. We'll talk about that one tomorrow. Also broke down a little bit of Auburn's home-and-home series with Miami. Hour number two filled with Great topics as well. We're going to start off hour number two with something that we brought up earlier this week that I said, you know what, let's table that. Let's do that. You came up with it, ranking the top five toughest schedules in the SEC for 2021. But first, I want to tell everybody, head over to the ESPN 106.7 Twitter account. Vote in the SEC uniform bracket finals. Florida, Auburn, squaring off in our uniform bracket finals. What we've been doing here on On The Line for the last two weeks now, it's reached the end. And Auburn is creaming Florida right now, 92-8 to eight through the first 59 votes. So you can go and find that on the ESPN 106.7 Twitter account. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis News, and more. There's seven hours of local sports talk radio all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Lance, I'm assuming you voted for Auburn. Boys. I would say that your vote matters, but at this point, I don't know how much you're going to actually be able to change the poll because everybody's voting for Auburn. I'm voting for Auburn. You're voting for Auburn. Go vote and just like let it be like 99 to 1, 99% to 1%. Let's go. Let's do that. I don't know if it's going to get there. There were some objective people out there, I'm sure, though, because this is the lowest margin of victory for Auburn through the entire <laughs> thing. Over one like wow. 99 to 1 against everybody. And this Whew. is the first time that we haven't seen that. There's actually 8% for somebody. For a little bit, they had more than 10% Florida did. So that's pretty funny. I need to win I, th- I think we kind of knew when we did this from the start. That <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think it was a good idea at the start, right? But then like after the first round and we saw how bad Auburn was just like dismantling people, it really caught on in the Ole Miss part of the bracket because mm-hmm. Auburn was set up with Mississippi State at first and then they played Ole Miss. And I was like, Oh, yeah, this is Auburn winning the whole thing. I'll say this. If SEC Network did the same thing, I don't think we would see Auburn in Florida at the end. 
I'll just say Who do that. you think we'd see at the end? I think Unfortunately, I think, I think Alabama would make it that far. I think Alabama would make it pretty far. I also could see Ole Miss making it far simply because everybody likes Ole Miss's uniforms. And I could see Alabama and Ole Miss at the end. Yeah, I could see that. If they Which didn't, one if they of those deserves to be there. The other one does not. Yep, yep. I'm right there with you. I'm all for tradition, but that's just bland. I think Florida's uniforms are not half bad. I, I really like the traditional blue and then the, the 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 road white uniforms, but they've had some alternate jerseys in the past that have really, really turned me off to ever having alternate jerseys ever. The specifically the Gator ones, the orange ones that they've had against LSU a couple of times, like in 2016 and 2015, looked really bad. Like they were just painful to look at. But my, my, their traditional jerseys are, are pretty nice. Ranking the top five toughest schedules in the SEC for the 2021 season. Let's get into it, my man. We'll see how far we can get through this on this segment. Might have to carry it into the next, but let's get after it. Starting at number five, the fifth toughest schedule of the SEC in 2021. I've got Ole Miss as the fifth most difficult schedule in the SEC in 2021, and I really debated between the number four spot that I'll have, and we'll get to that later, and then the, and, and Ole Miss at number five. But I put Ole Miss at number five because I, I truly believe the team above them is just slight, slight, slightly more difficult. But as far as Ole Miss's schedule is concerned, you get Louisville to open the season, and I know Louisville wasn't good last year, but they've got a really good head coach, and they've got solid pieces that they can continue to build off of. I know last year was a down year, but I think they're going to get back to where they wanted to be. And Didn't they beat Mississippi State in in their bowl game just just a year ago? Not this season, but the year before. I believe they did. I believe they did. I think so. That sounds familiar. Either that or NC State. And so they had a they, they had a trajectory that was going up and they they were like on the right they were on the right direction. Malik Cunningham was being consistent. Uh, I believe Javian Hawkins is, is their is their running back. He was getting better. Last season offensively, I don't think they were terrible. It's just things just didn't go their way. They lost four games by one possession last year, so they, they may have been a little bit better than four and seven suggest. Right. And so this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a fun matchup between Ole Miss and in and, and Louisville. Then they play Austin P, Tulane. And then they really get into the thick of things. They play at Alabama. They get Arkansas at home. They play at Tennessee. They get LSU at home. They play at Auburn. And then one of the toughest non-conference games in the country for, for, a, for a middle-tier Power 5 school, they take on Liberty at home. That's going to be really, really tough. Well, it's, there's the dynamic that you haven't mentioned yet. It's Hugh Freeze. It's a Hugh right? Freeze Bowl. That's exactly what I was about yeah. to say. It's the Hugh Freeze Bowl, November 6th. You get Texas A&M at home, Vanderbilt, and then at Mississippi State. Uh, kind of easy there to finish off the season after you play Liberty at home, but still, it's it's one of these it's one of the toughest schedules in the SEC simply because you got to play on the road at Auburn and at Alabama, and then you have to play Louisville Week One, and then you again you have to have to play Liberty. That's a really tough non-conference game. Liberty is the reason why I have them actually at four in comparison to my five, which is LSU, and I'll get to LSU in a second, and then I just we won't talk about Ole Miss again since they're so close in our order, but Liberty is the reason why I have Ole Miss at four because of where that game is parked in their schedule. The the non conference foe comes in a late season stretch of games versus LSU at Auburn. Then you play versus Liberty and versus Texas A&M, all of which I can see all four of those games being losses for Ole Miss. And you take a four-game losing streak at the end of the season. Where does that place you with your morale at the end of the year where you're trying to pick up the pieces after that and you're possibly teetering on trying to get to a bowl game at that point? I still think they make a bowl game, but you're definitely put into an uncomfortable situation when you start losing that many games. Where is this team at? 
Liberty is not a late-season reprieve cupcake game like maybe they thought it was going to be when they scheduled it a couple years ago, whenever they did. Maybe it was recent and they wanted this because of Hugh Freeze, whatever. But it's Hugh Freeze's opportunity. I don't want to paint this as revenge. Same kind of thing with like Gus Malzahn. If UCF and Auburn were to play, I don't think it's a revenge thing. It's it's cool to get them to come back to a place where they were successful for a bit. But at the same time, it's a game that Hugh Freeze is really going to want to win. And not only because it's the former location of where he coached and the way things that went down there, he's going to want to win. The other side of it is Liberty doesn't get that many opportunities against Power 5 opponents. They get to play your middle-of-the-pack ACC team here and there, and then they get to play Ole Miss this season. They have to make these types of games count. And at the end of the year, Ole Miss very well may be the best team that they will have played all year long. And Hugh Freeze knows that his playoff, whatever, how high they want to be ranked. I mean, Liberty was an excellent football team last year, and they were ranked, and they were a top 15 team at times. And then Coastal Carolina was in the same boat. And what happened? They got to the end of the year, BYU, and they got to the end of the year, and the best that they could do was BYU and Coastal Carolina on the fly scheduled each other, and they couldn't do anything to help themselves in the rankings. Liberty this year, at least to a degree, has something that can help them more than what Coastal Carolina and what BYU have been able to do in the past. Liberty has actually got some teams that that hold a little bit of respect in the college football community. You say that Ole Miss may be the most difficult team on Liberty's schedule at the end of the year, but you're not putting a lot of stock in my UAB Blazers. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm, that's a joke. That's a joke. I, I will say this, though, and, and I'm, I, I hope that y'all don't take this the wrong way because I am a really big fan of the SEC, but I'm looking at it right now, and Liberty – is better than three or four teams in the SEC right now. You could you could go as far as to say five or six aggressively, and I would love to hear that argument because I think that would be fun. But legitimately, like I think Liberty's better than South Carolina. I think I they're think better than Vanderbilt. They're better than Vanderbilt. They're better than Mississippi State. I think they're better than Arkansas. If this is not that's the one where I might. I don't know yet. This is not this is not a a group of five cupcake game. It's exactly like you said. This is not an SEC team, but this is a really tough test. They're like a, they're like a middle of the packed ACC school. This is like yeah. playing Louisville at the end of the year, and I and I, I liked what you said about the Louisville game because I don't think that that's a cakewalk for Ole Miss either in the Chick Fil A kickoff game on Labor Day because Louisville could be a much improved team in 2021. They had four one possession losses in 2020. They bring back their quarterback and Malik Cunningham. The core of that team returns for 2021, and some of those games that didn't break their way last year could break their way this year I think last year they were probably more of a six and five football team that just had some just didn't have the ball bounce their way a couple of times so that will not be easy for Ole Miss the fifth team on my list is LSU are they the fourth team on your list they are the fourth team on my list I had a really hard time debating between these two so here's the reason why I I put Ole Miss at four because of Liberty I I think that the non-conference the late non-conference game there the fact that they have that stretch of four games and the fact that they have to play both Alabama and Auburn on the road. That's the big difference there for me. They, The Mississippi schools must play both Alabama. Well, Mississippi State gets Alabama home this year, but Ole Miss has to play both Alabama and Auburn on the road in addition to the fact that they don't get the late reprieve in the midst of having to play LSU and Auburn and Texas A&M, three very physical teams that just Ole Miss's schedule really compiles at the end of the season. LSU, though, they get some breaks here and there. They get to sprinkle in your Mississippi State, your Arkansas, to give them a little bit of a easier SEC game in between some of their tougher stretches. 
an early season matchup against one of the best offensive and most experienced teams in the country for this year against UCLA is a tough way to start the regular season off. So that was what helped get them into the top five of toughest schedules. But then you get into SEC play in October 2nd through November 6th for them. So pretty much the entirety of October and then the first week of November is a, is a doozy. They're at home against Auburn. They're at Kentucky versus Florida at Ole Miss and at Alabama. The at the, the versus Florida at Ole Miss and at Alabama is where you really zero in there because LSU should, should still edge out Kentucky, you'd feel like, but it may not be easy. It's still on the road, and we've seen Kentucky in recent years beat LSU in the last 10 years. It's possible the, the, that stretch right there is a doozy, but outside of that stretch of five games – they they can still handle their business and they've got little games sprinkled in here and there where it makes it a little bit easier for them that this the the schedule for lsu though is their road games make less talented teams trap games for them right like they have to go to Ole miss they have to go to kentucky they have to go to ucla games where you're like yeah lsu's more talented than them all of a sudden it's on the road and if any one of those three teams, and I'm not saying that LSU is going to lose to all three of those teams, but take your pick on one of those three teams, LSU might lose to one of those three this year. I mean, you have talked about them losing to UCLA. If they catch one of those three teams on their best day, LSU could lose. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you as far as the schedule lines up. Bookends-wise, on the beginning and the end of the schedule, I think it's really tough. You go on the road and you play UCLA, and like you mentioned, production-wise, they're one of the most experienced teams in college football on the offensive side of the football coming into 2021. And then you have Texas A&M at home to end the season, who is not a slouch. They're one of the top seven, six teams in the SEC. That's that's going to be a difficult test, especially if Texas A&M figures out their quarterback situation and they get the offensive line going. That's going to be a really, really tough game. But I'm right there with you as far as that middle season stretch. I think it's daunting. You look at you have to play Auburn. Your SEC East rotation team is on the road this year at Kentucky, albeit Kentucky's not great, but it's still on the road. You play Florida at home. You play at Ole Miss, and then you play at Alabama. And man, that that midseason stretch. If 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 LSU has not figured out things defensively, it's going to be really really rough for them because you look at three teams right there that statistically, at least last year, offensively. Were, were lights out Florida Ole Miss and Alabama and I think Florida is going to be able to carry it over somewhat I don't think they're going to be as dynamic as they were with Kyle Trask but I think they're still going to score points it's going to be a really really tough midseason for for LSU and that's what I'm putting stock in is that beginning and the end of the season are, are difficult but that middle stretch I don't know if they survive that getting into the top three now which you and I have the exact same top three am I correct I believe so yes we got the exact same top three South Carolina at three yep then South Carolina at three here their schedule is particularly interesting and they always place in the top because they have to play Georgia and Clemson every year and Florida as well so they kind of deal with some of the same issues that Auburn does unfortunately for them Clemson is their non-conference opponent and Auburn doesn't have to play you know a team in the non-conference like Clemson but they have to play Alabama every year so now South Carolina has to play it's it's like having to play Georgia and Alabama every year because Clemson's right up there with them South Carolina's their last five games are an absolute nightmare an absolute nightmare at Texas A&M at home against Florida at Missouri home game against Auburn and versus Clemson all of which look like losses to me so you're about to take five L's at the end of the season maybe you take maybe the best you can do there is four you're about to take five l's though more than likely at the end of the season which tells me that you have to get six wins in your first seven games and you look at the first seven games 
you still have to play Georgia and Tennessee on the road, and you got a home game against Kentucky. You, South Carolina is in trouble of possibly being in, in, a, in a boat where they could not win an SEC game this year. You have to play four teams that finished in the top ten of the playoff rankings last season. And you have to play two teams that are le- that are legitimate college football playoff contenders this season, and Georgia and Clemson. That is enough. That is enough to put you at number four and number three on this list. That is that is daunting, especially whenever you're considering the caliber of team that South Carolina is compared to some of these other schools. I know that strength of schedule is interesting because it's like, well, if it's Vanderbilt and you and you have one schedule and it's like, oh, well, Vanderbilt's going to be really, it's going to have a really tough time. But then you put Alabama up against it, the same schedule and it's going to be easy for them. I know that it, it can kind of get wonky whenever you're looking at strength of schedule sometimes, but you do have to take into account the caliber of team that you're looking at compared to the schedule that they face and for South Carolina uh, I'm I'm right there with you it's going to be really really tough for them in the SEC but they do have Kevin Harris who we've talked about is going to be one of the top five running backs in the SEC it's all they got it's all they've got though and they're breaking in a new head coach it's just it doesn't look good for them year one it doesn't it doesn't and with that schedule, they're going to have to handle a lot of their business early on and I just don't see that happening because I, I they, they might win one SEC game, and that game is Vanderbilt. But if I think uh, – you're asking me which team here between South Carolina and Vanderbilt, which team do you think could could overachieve more, right? And we've talked about Vanderbilt and they're just th- this innate – it seems like over the last 10 years, starting with James Franklin, even with Derek Mason until last year when things just went horribly wrong, it seems like Vanderbilt's just been a tough they, – they, they've been a bunch of tough guys that are not an easy out. They are going to give you their very best effort. Whereas South Carolina has been prone to blowouts, also been prone to trip up a couple of teams. They they did it to Georgia a couple of years when Rodrigo Blankenship hit one off the goalpost or missed the uh, you know chip shot field goal in overtime. You know, I mean, it happens. But yeah, I, I don't know. For some reason, I feel almost a little bit more comfortable that Vanderbilt's going to overachieve this year and find a way to trip up a South Carolina that maybe South Carolina is is going to overachieve. I think the only time that I can think in recent memory that South Carolina has overachieved is that Georgia game. And whenever you look at what Vanderbilt... Or the Auburn game last year. Or the Auburn game last year. When you look at what Vanderbilt's been able to do, they, they still scored 31 points or 34 points, I believe, against the national title team in LSU in 2019. They gave Auburn struggles in 2016. They they Who was the team that they beat Missouri whenever they ranked in the top 25 with Kelly Bryant? They, they've they've been able to compete with some of these mid-tier SEC teams and then upset a team every now and then. I would put more stock in Vanderbilt, especially with Clark Lee, to to win a game or two in the SEC compared to South Carolina. I just think I'm, I'm right there with you. I think the situation Vanderbilt's in and the type of program they are, I'm not saying that Vanderbilt's a world beater, but compared to South Carolina. But the culture's kind of already there. Right. Like, Clark Lee is changing some things from where Derek Mason was at, but the innate tough guy culture is already there. The underdog mentality has been embraced by Vanderbilt, and they said, we might not win, but you're not going to. It's like the idea of, like, if you're getting into a fight and you know you're not going to win, but... The other guy's not going to leave unscathed too, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the idea from Vanderbilt over the years. And sometimes they did get blown out. And last year was one of those years. But there were some Derek Mason teams and there were some James Franklin teams. James Franklin teams that were good. They were nine wins, you know? I mean, there. I remember a year, you know, Vanderbilt's right there with, you know, c- competing with Georgia on the same field, you know? Like, it's there's just this innate thing that Vanderbilt teams have embraced over the years that South Carolina's kind of been more – at times to fold and that's what we saw at the end under Muschamp 
is folding? Is there that innate desire? There seems to be more things to build culturally in South Carolina than maybe at Vanderbilt going into this year, but we'll just see how, how that unfolds. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we are going to get started on ranking our top five tight ends of the SEC for 2021. We'll come back to these schedule rankings throughout the show. We'll be back on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. If you want to call into the show, 334-321-1390. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com and on Facebook. That's foxsports983.com. Instead of ranking the top five tight ends, we'll say that for the next segment. Let's get into ranking the top five toughest schedules in the SEC for 2021. And we're into our top two now, which we have the same top two. We're now on to a team that perennially has one of the toughest schedules in college football. And yes, you guessed it. You're Auburn Tigers. Yes, sir. Let's go. Let's take a look at the <laughs> schedule real quick. Well, they get they uh, they get two really easy teams, as we have discussed over, over the course of this week, uh, to begin the season in Akron and Alabama State. And then they go on the road to Penn State. They get a breather to, uh, to catch their breath after that road trip against Georgia State. And then it gets real. They have to go on the road and play at LSU, a, a place that they have not won at since 1999. They play Georgia at home. They get Arkansas on the road, uh, who everybody says is always the trap game, but is it really? It, it might. It might be. It might be this year because it's no longer the Gus Malzahn Bowl. It's. It's just. It's just Arkansas. So who knows what will happen there? You get Ole Miss at home, who we've talked about bef- a, a little bit on the show already. Is it's going to be a very high octane team? They're going to score a lot of points. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, considering Auburn struggled with them at home last year and they struggled with them on the road this year. Can Auburn consistently, even though they've beaten them five years in a row, can they can they beat them for a six year in a row? <laughs> you know, they play at Texas A and M, uh, which should be an interesting game, especially again if Texas A and M figures out their quarterback position. Position if they don't, I see Auburn going into that game and winning it by fourteen or seventeen points. They play Mississippi State at home, South Carolina on the road, and then they finish off the season obviously against Alabama in the iron bowl it's just it's it's an sec west slate with uh with a pretty decent big 10 team added in there only two teams have to play georgia and alabama every season and so that's a big part of what puts you into this category fortunately for auburn though as we've already put it they do get those two teams at home but what makes this schedule particularly difficult this year is how you open the SEC season, which is against a team that you have not won at their place in over 20 years. Isn't that fun? No, it's not. No, it's not. It could be fun if you end up winning because it could be something that inspires this team to go and do some things that people aren't expecting them to do this year. But you open up at the LSU, which I think Auburn's got actually a fairly decent shot at winning it this year, maybe more than they do most years when they go to LSU. You got at LSU, and then you got Georgia. So you could see a world and i'm sure a lot of people see a world where auburn goes zero and two to start the sec schedule or that's not fair or if auburn's five and oh heading into that georgia game you literally may see me come into the studio bouncing off the walls you may be (laughs) i may be saying national title or bust at that point i i may be just so ecstatic i don't know what to do with myself so it sets up really well for auburn to fail really well or it sets up for them to have tremendous success because if they are five and oh and start out hot 
I could see them taking Georgia at home. I could see that happening. And then right after those first two games, this is where everybody wants to talk about trap games. Arkansas and Ole Miss follow that, and you've got to go on the road at Arkansas, as you mentioned, and Ole Miss at home. They provide trap games following two brutally physical games and two emotionally draining games, probably. Does is there a drop off, right? Once you go from the emotions of two rivalry games now to two middle of the pack to bottom tier SEC teams, what does that do to you? Then if you survived all that and somehow you're like three and one in conference play, then you gotta go to college station for a late season long road trip. It's out of the way. It's one of the longest road trips in the conference. And late season Texas A and M games seem to be just so tricky for Auburn, right? And I think back to twenty fourteen and don't there's think back. Some, Please don't put that on my mind right now. Yeah, there's just been some dramatic games late in the year for Auburn, and those tend to be emotionally draining and whatnot. But once again, if you get by all that, you know, you, you get to the end and you, and you get a game against Alabama. Maybe Auburn, if maybe they're one loss at that point, it, it definitely sets up to if you're one loss and you have survived all of this throughout the regular season, then buckle up for what will be a fun Iron Bowl, right? And we've seen that over the years. It's possible but it definitely is a, is, is a dream at the moment. The thing I want to add, though, we talked about this earlier in the show, it could work to Auburn's detriment. It almost makes the schedule tougher, in my mind, that Auburn has two terrible teams in Akron and Alabama State to open the year. I would have preferred Auburn to play someone... Notre Dame and Ohio State. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not, but just someone a little bit better than that. Somebody that you would expect Auburn to win, but would have provided mm-hmm. at least a little bit more fortitude in mm-hmm. response to what Auburn's going to be doing. Auburn should be able to do whatever they want in their first two ball games. Auburn is so much more talented. And this isn't like playing, like, just turn to a generic team in the MAC. Like, Auburn could play Buffalo to open the year, right? And Buffalo's had some pretty good football teams over the last couple of years. And Auburn would win that game handily. Auburn would win that game, like, 45-17, to 17, right? This is different. Auburn is playing two teams that Auburn should expect to win 56-7. to seven, right? Not even seven. <laughs> I mean, I asked you the question earlier in the show. How many points do you think these two guys, these two teams will have against Auburn combined over the first two weeks? And you said 10 or less. And nope. I'm like, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Alabama State is not scoring any more than nine because they, they, they will not score a safety like they did on us in 2018. They will not ruin Malik Willis' career at Auburn for us this time. So, of course, if the backups come in, maybe some garbage time points will flood in. But And I expect the backups to get in. So maybe that'll change some things a little bit. But still, like if the starters play the whole time... Pff- forget about it you know so you're not happy with alabama state and akron might i suggest my uab blazers they would be pretty fun to play (laughs) that would be a much better opponent to play to open the year them or troy than playing akron and alabama state it almost works to auburn's detriment because it does nothing to prepare you for the road game at penn state the chip Lindsay bowl Troy and Troy versus Auburn. That would be fun. I'd go to that. South Alabama, I'd love to see that game as well, but that wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily be competitive. I would like to take a group of five school that was like pretty decent and play them instead of a team like Akron or Alabama State. I'd like to see Auburn play Tulane again or something like that. Real talk, flip Georgia State with flip Georgia State and Akron, yeah. and I'm probably happy. Because yeah. Georgia State is a six win team, seven win team in the Sun Belt, which has some okay football teams in it, like Appalachian State, Colorado, or not Colorado State, uh, Coastal Carolina. You look at these teams in the Sun Belt, and they're actually like decent. Georgia Southern gave Auburn a somewhat frustrating game back in 17 with some of the turnovers and then this couple of injuries in that one. But still, like, if even if you flip those two, it's a little bit more competitive 
going into the Penn State game and you feel a little bit better about what Auburn's faced. It's almost a detriment mm-hmm. that they're playing such bad teams through the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. We'll be back in just a moment. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama, ranking our top five toughest schedules in the SEC for 2021. Arkansas Razorbacks at the top of the list. We just went through four of these five teams. At five, I've got LSU. Four, I've got Ole Miss. You flipped those two. You had Ole Miss at five, LSU at four. Our top three was the same. South Carolina at three, Auburn at two. And out of the top of the list, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas must play Texas A&M. Georgia, Ole Miss, LSU, and Alabama all away from home. And I say only away from home because the A&M game is still in Dallas. You get to play that one in the Cowboys Stadium. But still, you're not at home for any of those five games. I don't know how it gets tougher than that. Just enough said right there. You got A&M, Georgia, Ole Miss, LSU, and Alabama all away from home. Yeah, for a team like Arkansas, I, I don't know if our listeners have been keeping up with the SEC extensively, but that's 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 really, really tough, really tough for a team like Arkansas. And then you throw on top of it, you got to play a team in Texas week two. I know that's going to be at home, but still, it's it's Texas. Well, the home games aren't even that easy, right? Like Texas, Auburn, Missouri. Mississippi, Mi- Mississippi State, is, State. A, is, a rel- is a relatively easy one. Well, I was leaving out the, the ones that I thought were relatively oh, right, right, easy, right. but like... And Mississippi State's not going to be easy because Mississippi State and Arkansas are still pretty much in the same plane in terms yep. of talent and tier in the SEC. So you have Rice, Texas, Georgia Southern, Auburn, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, Mississippi State, and Missouri at home. Whereas Missouri, Mississippi State, Auburn, and Texas are all like they're they're losing at least two of those games, and the other two aren't easy at home either. So like there is no easy game on the Arkansas schedule. That Mississippi State game is going to be with the second team CBS broadcast, and it's going to be overcast, like, like damp and humid. And that that's going to be the game, and it's going to be it's going to be really the not one fun. that goes fifty four forty six in overtime, and someone throws a a lateral over the back shoulder into it's, the nothing. It's the game that you least expect to be fun, and then you watch it, and it's like oh, it was a pretty close game. It was pretty fun for for two teams that don't matter whatsoever. Yeah, it's like last year's Arkansas Miss game. Or yeah. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but this schedule, uh, as far as the road games go, I'm right there with you. They are really, really, really tough whenever you're taking into consideration the, the, the type of team that Arkansas is, the level of play that they're at right now. It's, it's going to be really tough. I don't see this team necessarily getting to a bowl game. I, I think this is going to be really tough for them this season. I know they've got a lot of pieces coming back, but it's, t- it's going to be a really rough road. Also, they have multiple tough stretches of games that can compound losses you got a&m george on the road Ole miss on the road three of those games we're all away from home so you go three weeks away from home and then you get auburn at home that stretch of four games then two where it calms down a little bit arkansas pine bluff and mississippi state and then you round out the year with back-to-back road games against lsu and alabama and then missouri at home i mean this team has a three-week stretch where they're away from home in a, in a and then a two-week stretch where they're away from home I, other teams aren't dealing with that type of madness in the SEC, what did Arkansas do to the SEC? I'm counting. They, they. I'm counting the losses on their schedule right now, man. This is, so Texas is a loss. A and M's a loss. Uh, Georgia's a loss. Ole Miss is a loss. Auburn's a loss. LSU's a loss. Alabama's a loss. Missouri might be a loss. Auburn might be a loss. So you're looking at potentially nine losses on this schedule. I mean, the, the, everybody's like Arkansas is getting better this year. I'm like, why does Athlon? Right. Athlon has them sure. going six and six and three and five in the SEC. What are the three games they win? Where? Where? I'm like, sure. And they would not have beaten Ole Miss last year if 
Matt Corral hadn't just gone sporadic and just thrown six picks. The, they wouldn't have beat Ole Miss last year. The only game so. on their schedule that I can see as like an SEC win like legitimately is the Mississippi State game. That Missouri game is questionable to me, and they aren't beating Ole Miss on the road. That's not happening. So that the, the three three and five in the SEC is is ridiculous to me. This team is going to have a really hard time making a bowl game. Without a doubt, without a doubt, that's where I stand. I don't, I don't think Arkansas is getting that much better this year either. If I had to choose between Mississippi State and Arkansas going to a bowl game this year, I'd, I'd probably choose Mississippi State. I think that's where I stand right and now. And even then, it's like I, I don't trust either of those it's teams. It's hard to believe, though, that only five West teams will make it to a bowl game. That is true. That Just six West teams are going to make it. That's that's pretty much the default. So I'm going to choose Mississippi State to make it over Arkansas. Do you think that it's more likely that Tennessee makes a bowl game over Arkansas and Mississippi State? Without a doubt. If Tennessee doesn't, If Tennessee doesn't go bowling this year, they underachieved. They still have, despite the fact that they have the most transfers in the country leave their program, they had 25 guys exit since like October 2nd, so they've had a lot of guys go. They're still talented. They're still Tennessee. They're still recruiting the top 20. They're still recruiting the top 15. You look at the schedule, I think they, they beat Bowling Green. They beat Pittsburgh. They beat Tennessee Tech, so they're 3-0 and to open the year. Then they'll go to Florida. They'll lose. It will be an ugly game, more than likely, as typically those games are. They'll be 3-1. and They'll be at Missouri. Could be a loss, could be a win. You just don't know. Missouri's so up and down, but I'll say that one's a loss. You're now at three and two. You'll beat South Carolina at home. You're four and two. You get Ole Miss at home. Do you want to say that's a loss or a win? I want to say that is a loss. We'll go with a loss. Yeah, we'll go with a loss. So four and three, losing a home game to Ole Miss. You're then going to lose to Alabama, and now you're sitting at four and four with your last four games at Kentucky, home against Georgia, home against South Alabama, and home against Vanderbilt. Can you find two wins? across those last four games with a road game against Kentucky, a home game, and then, and then three home games against Georgia, South Alabama, and Vanderbilt. And immediately your eyes go to the last two games with a 4-6 and six Tennessee team looking at South Alabama and Vanderbilt, and you're like, they can win those games, right? They could equally yes. lose to Vanderbilt because they've had some really bad luck over the last four or five years against Vanderbilt. What are they, like 3-3 three and three, or 1-3 and three against Vanderbilt in the last four years, something like that? So like, it's very possible for them to still lose to Vanderbilt. But they did beat them 42-17. to 17. I, I still think that th- last year they did. But I still think that this Tennessee team is good enough to find their way to a bowl game. If not, be able to upset also a team like Missouri and Kentucky and find their way sneakily to a top-end result of like eight wins. The big thing for me about Tennessee is they bring in Josh Hoipel, who knows offense, knows quarterbacks, has had a lot of success with them, had one of the best offenses in the country last year with UCF, and he imports some good quarterbacks like Hendon Hooker out of Virginia Tech that immediately is giving a facelift to a position that hasn't had a good quarterback in many years since Josh Dobbs, so in several years since Josh Dobbs. And then before that, it was back into like those Derek Dooley years when like Tyler Bray was quarterback, you know? So like it's not been a good position for them, but this year definitely with Hendon Hooker coming in from VT, I think that they're in a better position than they have been, and there's at least something to work with on the offensive side of the ball in Knoxville. I think that they can find their way to six, at least, maybe if they can shock some teams, upwards of eight. I do want to say this real quick, two things about Tennessee. Number one, they were ranked 14th in the week, in week six of the 2020 season. I'll see myself out. But <laughs> that that's... Uh, Wow. Another thing I will say is I would not be surprised if they were ranked 24th or 25th heading into that matchup against Florida, simply because to hype it up and the fact that they would be 3-0 and if they beat Pittsburgh. 
that's always that that's kind of what it was like in the early 2010s you know it's like this is one of the first sec games of the season let's all get excited about it it's a rivalry game tennessee's three and oh haven't really beaten anybody then they play them and ends up being this gross like 31 to 19 football game where tennessee the best they could muster was 19 points i'm just I'm, i'm i'm reliving the Derek dooley years at tennessee and going through that time period before everything really before the wheels really fell off then you got butch jones in there and things got better and then the wheels fell off again champions of life let's go baby <laughs> carrying around trash cans let me tell let's you let's go i watched a lot of that 2016 tennessee team like i watched a lot of it it was it, it's weird because i like i don't watch a lot of like kentucky or south carolina or tennessee like i don't sit down to watch that all the way through but whenever tennessee came on in 2016 i sat down and i watched those games they were all fun, the way through man. and Think they were the running backs exactly. had alvin Kamara on that team josh dobbs was fun to watch yep I, I i believe they opened the season against appalachian state and that game went to overtime if i'm not mistaken maybe that was the next year it i might be i might be wrong on that I'll i have think to that go was check. year two because there there was the first year that tennessee kind of got good they were like nine and three nine and four something like that no, it was 2016 oh it was okay. it was they won 20 to 13 in overtime interesting was 2017 the year that we thought that they were going to be good and then they ended up just kind of being me they still only won like four games or only still only won like nine games 2016 was the year that they were like kind of like they shocked people so you yeah. might be right 2017 might be might be the year that they that they were expected to do well and then they didn't it was it was definitely the next year and then they had a couple of like miracle games but outside of that they they definitely got beat worse by teams like alabama and georgia that year i, I feel like i remember but still I don't know how we got to Tennessee on this. They do not have one of the tougher schedules in the SEC, in my opinion. No, they do not. I, I think they can work with it. I think they can get to a bowl game. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we will wrap up our number two. You're listening to On the Line. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up the Thursday edition of the show. we got about 10 minutes left till we get out of here. And then at 4 o'clock from 4 to 6, you got the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack taking your calls all afternoon long. Be sure to tune in on to that uh every weekday once again from four to six on espn 106.7 and fox sports central alabama keep up with all the content our show is putting out on radioalabamasports.net and on the radio alabama sports facebook page follow it on twitter as well at radio al sports between collegiate and high school sports content we've got you covered once again that's radioalabamasports.net let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight before we wrap up the show here Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some movie selections for this evening. The 1995 version of Mortal Kombat is on BBC at 7. Anybody else get bummed when they see Wilson floating away in the ocean? Or is that just me? Castaway is on Freeform at 7. Family Film with Peter Rabbit on FX at 7. Lone Wolf action movies seem to be a theme. Jack Reacher is on Paramount at 6. And the two are on at 7 with The Accountant on TNT and John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum on Sci-Fi. In live sports, an incredible 
effort from Kevin Durant in Game 5 lifted the Nets to a 3-2 lead over the Milwaukee Bucks. Game 6 is tonight on ESPN at 7.30, with the Nets looking to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since 2003. In the NHL playoffs, it's Game 3 of a tied series between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders at 7 on USA. U.S. Open Golf is on NBC at 6. Copa America Soccer is on FS1 at 7 with Peru versus Brazil. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up the show here, saw an article, Saturday Down South wrote this. Uh, Jared Stidham quoted as saying he's fired up that the Patriots drafted Mac Jones. It, it inspires him. It motivates him to have to work harder. You would have thought that the first two years, maybe there's some motivation there, of course, too, because you made it to the NFL, but still, and I'm sure he was, but still, nonetheless, it kind of looks over for Jared Stidham in New England. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think I think this his time has been done because if he wasn't able to get it done while Cam was out with an injury, I think he's he's just about out in New England. I don't know if he's he's out of the NFL. Period. I think he could probably land somewhere else as a backup quarterback. But with with them with with them drafting Mac Jones, I think that says enough. Honestly. Well, they also brought back Brian Hoyer, which is expected. This is what it is like the third year in a row they've done this in the preseason. Brian Hoyer is in my opinion if if the most teams don't take three quarterbacks you see it sometimes it, it's kind of 50 50 some teams take two quarterbacks on the roster some teams take three if something were to happen to both quarterbacks or something were to happen to one of those quarterbacks then they would go out and, and would go and sign somebody so it, it's it's more likely that if they were going to carry three that they would carry Hoyer instead of Jared Stidham yeah and my reasoning for that is if something like Cam is I, right now I think Cam's the starter week one Cam gets hurt or something like that and they still don't think which is possible Mac, and they still don't think Mac Jones is ready to go then you're you're more comfortable with Hoyer than you are with Jared Stidham taking meaningful snaps and even without Stidham on the roster I think one of the reasons why they brought back Hoyer was to be that veteran presence and to coach up Mac Jones just a little bit so I think they can be they can do without Stidham if, if Hoyer wasn't able to help Stidham out and we've seen Stidham's product on the field he's not been great uh I I think I think it's about time for him to head out it's 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 not there's not a whole lot going on for him in New England again they've they brought in Mac Jones and I'm right there with you I think if they were going to have to play somebody outside of Jones I think you put in Hoyer because He's, he's just as good as Stidham, in my opinion, as far as managing the game or realizing, well, we've got to go ahead and take this L because our starting quarterback is not going to play. I think Hoyer's just as good at doing that. This was via PatriotsWire.USAToday.com article. Quote, this is Jared Stidham speaking here. Quote, absolutely, it definitely fires me up. Stidham said of Jones's arrival and added competition. Quote, last year, bring again Cam before training camp. That fired me up to continue to get better and to continue to grow as a player. Definitely fired up to be competing against Mac, Brian Hoyer, and Cam. It's a great room. It's a lot of fun to be in there, but definitely fired up to compete against those guys every day, end quote. Not trying to take it out of context or anything. I just thought, it was, you know, it's been an article. I've seen it floating around. I was like, yeah, I mean, he is fired up. Of course, he's going to be fired up that they brought in Mac Jones. You know what I mean? To, to compete. But I, I think it's over. I think it's over. They, 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 the Patriots have been averse to drafting quarterback. That is, and, and drafting a quarterback high at that too. And they saw Mac Jones. And were like, we're gonna draft you with our first round draft pick. We're not gonna draft some guy out of the FCS that plays wide receiver. We're going to draft the Alabama starting quarterback that had a Joe Burrow like season last year. They believe in Mac Jones for the future. 
they have moved on from Jared Stidham. I don't know how I feel about him continuing continuing to say fired up, I'm fired up, I'm fired. Are you really excited? Are you really that that excited? <laughs> like they they drafted a quarterback because they don't believe in you and they brought back Hoyer because they don't believe in you and they're they're going to start Cam over you like they did last season because they don't believe in you. Are you really that fired up? I mean, the only thing that I can think is that well, I'm still getting paid and I'm going to be fourth string. Woohoo. Let's let's no, let's he go. He won't be fourth string. He'll he be third on the roster. Oh, it's like he, he like you mentioned like he keeps he, he keeps saying that he's fired up. Well, he's actually he's he's adding an extra word there he's just plain fired the question is the question is will someone else pick him up will he find another team oh and i think he will we we believe in the arm talent right we we believe in that he's got he throws a pretty ball you know but i kind of wonder what's going on in between the ears with jared stidham as a quarterback because his short time that he has had the limited playing time he has had with the patriots it has not been pretty and what was it against the Jets a couple of years ago? What, the, he threw an out route and he just sailed it over his receiver's head on a five-yard out route. It ended up being a pick six. His receiver's wide open. I'm like, what is going on? And then 2018 at Auburn, there were some head-scratching interceptions. I look at the Tennessee game. He threw twice to a defensive lineman at Tennessee for two interceptions. Some things that made me really wonder if he's got it in between the ears as a quarterback rather than it's not about his talent or the potential that yep. he have, has in his arm. It's 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 more about his ability to actually just play the position when he steps out onto the grass, and he has not shown that. We talked earlier this week about quarter about not just quarterbacks but receivers. Why Auburn receivers have not been successful when they made it to the next level, and you you don't get that many opportunities in the preseason mm-hmm. to to make an impact. But when you do, you better make it count, and you better show out when you finally do get your shot. And even if you do show out. You still may not make the team. You could do everything in your ability, and they still may not have a spot for you. That feels like the situation in New England right now. I don't know if there's much that Jared Stidham can do to get a job in New England because they're they're not cutting Mac Jones, right? And they just signed Cam back. Like they that's their two guys. I don't, and I don't know if they're going to take three. And if they do take three, I'm not. I think it's more likely it's Brian Hoyer than Jared Stidham for a veteran presence to have the old man in the room to help Mac Jones grow. Well, they're bringing two quarterbacks back, and they added a third. It's like, where do you stand, Stidham, as far as this quarterback room goes? And I'll say this. You know, we can talk about these receivers not being able to do well in the NFL because Gus Malzahn's scheme didn't help them out. And I'm sure you could probably make the argument that maybe that was Stidham's problem just a little bit, especially in 2018, and then getting drafted and not being able to do well in the NFL. But at the same time, if you can't perform well as a quarterback under Bill Belichick, I don't know if you're going to be able to do it in a whole lot of other places in the NFL, you know? And so, we all thought it was a perfect fit for Jared Stidham when he was drafted yeah. by the Patriots. You're like, this is ideal. This is Tom Brady 2.0. As far not like it's not Tom Brady 2.0, but as far as style of play, Tom Brady 2.0. And so it definitely seems like the writing's on the wall for Jared Stidham in New England. And I think a lot of us were thinking that I'll draft not as well, but he ends up in the news. You know what I mean? I I hope he finds a spot with somebody else. I hope there's another team out there that finds Jared Stidham and likes his arm talent and maybe can unlock something in him. I don't know which team that is. Everybody's got to be looking for a backup. I would like, I wish I could say that there are worse backups than Jared Stidham, but in the limited playing time that we've seen from him in New England, I think, I think back to him sailing a five yard out route for a pick six. Who's the Chiefs backup right now? Who is he be, it? Well, he beat the Browns. Chad Henney? Yes. Well, he beat the Browns. So don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Okay. <laughs> Who is the who's the backup for the Browns? Maybe they could get him. Oh, uh, 
Oh, Come on, you should know this. It's I should, not, it's I not Odell. Go ahead, Dylan. It's not Odell. It? it could be. Case Keenum, right? Yeah, that is. Yeah, oh, it's Case go. Keenum. Dang. Uh, I was thinking, I was like, he's the former Vikings quarterback. Why can I not think of his name off the top of my head? In third string, you have Odell. Fourth string, you have Jarvis Landry. Apparently, both of those guys can throw uh, a football. Both of those guys have better quarterback ratings than Case Keenum Do after they? last year. Mm. Okay? I'm talking about dimes from OBJ and Jarvis Landry. I'd like Take to, your pick. I'd like to ask Terry, who would he rather have, OBJ for a full game or Bo Nix for a full game? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know his answer to that. How about oh, we just put OBJ at, OB, OBJ at wide receiver? I think that'd be nice. I, I think that'd be nice. I'd like for him yeah. to stay healthy as well. That'd yeah. be pretty cool. As a new good. Cleveland fan, that's right. Who, Welcome. Who, who didn't care anything about his health uh, as far as longevity in the NFL before this point? It was like now I'm saying like, yeah, you, you better be healthy this season. You know what's funny is though the Browns have kind of been better without him than they have been. That with That is him. true. That is true. It'd be nice to have though. Just it'd just be nice to have on the sideline, not acting up on the sideline though. I'd, I'd like for him <laughs> to contain himself. Yeah, that's right. Well, Lance, we've reached the end of our show here on the Thursday edition. It's been a packed show. And if anybody missed any of it, they're just now tuning in. The Drive with Bill Cameron following us here at 4 o'clock on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. You can go and find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those locations right there. You can find the On the Line podcast. That's a great way to get on-demand versions of the show. So make sure you go and check that out if you missed any of the show. And again, tomorrow we'll be previewing Penn State and we'll be grading their individual positions. And I promise y'all it's going to be a lot more fun to talk and listen to Penn State's positions compared to Alabama State and Akron. Because again, there's not going to be a whole lot of Fs and there's not going to be a whole lot of Ds. It's going to, it's going to be pretty solid across the board, even though they did go 4-5 and five last year. That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us. 